0: Welcome to the Lemon Spark Podcast, where we share stories about lemons that spark a new direction in life. I'm your host, Barbara Zabala. Welcome George Huntley to the Lemon Spark Podcast. I'm thrilled that you agreed to be a guest on the podcast. I would like everybody to meet George. He is the CEO of the Diabetes Leadership Council and wears many other hats which i'll ask him about in a moment but he started out his career as a cpa and still works as a C- cfo um for an organization so welcome george and tell us a little bit more about your hybrid professional lifestyle <laughs>
1: <laughs> professional lifestyle i like it well thank you uh, barbara i appreciate the opportunity to be here um so I, uh, my original career was as a CPA. I worked for Price Waterhouse when I first uh, got out of college, and I was in the uh, public accounting arena. I went to private accounting, and I've been the in the finance arena. I'm no longer an active CPA, but uh, I've been in the finance world my whole career. I'm currently the CFO of a professional services firm based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, but I'm also a patient living with type one diabetes and that have that, that secondary career that's now turned into almost my primary career.
0: Yeah. And that's why you're here and what kind of drew you to the lemon spark podcast when you read about it, I should tell our audience that we met just a few weeks ago in Tampa, Florida, when we were at a, a conference and we were both presenting and you were actually introducing my and my colleagues' presentation, and you <laughs> surprisingly introduced me uh, as includ including my Lemon Spark podcast um, hat that I wear, and so it was actually really a nice surprise because not many people know about this podcast. And when you know when I'm being identified and speaking as a, a lawyer and wellness lawyer, so I really appreciate that and. And then I could tell that what maybe sparked your interest in it was that you maybe had a Lemon Spark story to share, and it sounds like you do. So let's hear about your lemon.
1: (laughs) Well, my lemon is type 1 diabetes. So uh, yes, I think uh, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 20 in 1983. That means everybody can do the math and figure out how old I am um but um you know a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes means that you no longer make insulin your body in, so you have high blood sugar diabetes is is um the inability to process energy in your bloodstream so what happens when you get high blood sugar and you stop making insulin is you basically starve to death because you cannot use the fuel that you have consumed you eat a meal and none of that energy is getting into your cells. So your blood sugar gets higher and higher and higher and it burns out your organs. And, and in type one diabetes, if not caught, and thankfully it is usually, uh, you die. You die relatively quickly. Um, and it is a very, very serious issue. Uh, so you are immediately upon that diagnosis. I literally went blind. So I, my, I was um, at home on a spring break uh, with my mother, a future accountant, uh, I'm in a bank. And I'm standing and they used to have the CD, uh, uh, you know, what the CD rates were and the interest rates were. And not that I was particularly interested, but you're in line and you're looking at this, 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 uh, this sign. And I couldn't read it. And I'm four feet away from it with my glasses on. And I couldn't read the sign. I'm like, Mom, this doesn't make sense. I can't. What's going on? I can't read this. And and I was really, really thirsty. I was just drinking everything in sight and I was super thirsty. Nothing would quench the thirst. And uh, my sister had been diagnosed with type one diabetes five months prior. Uh, prior to that, we didn't even know it was in the family, didn't know what it was. Um, and so I'm now in the, uh, getting getting tested and at the doctor's office and in the hospital, uh, getting uh, put on insulin. And I remember them telling me to change my room. They changed my room and they said, go down to room 507. Well, I couldn't read this. I couldn't even read the room numbers. Um, it took a while for the vision to come back. It did come back. I still wear glasses because I'm I'm blind otherwise. Okay. Uh, but it then took almost 10 years to figure out how to actually live with this disease. Um, diabetes on a day-to-day basis, type 1 diabetes in particular, when you're on insulin, um, it, it's, it's not a simple task. Um, every day, every hour is different. So you have to take insulin for every carbohydrate you eat. And so if I'm going to eat a meal, I have to figure out how many carbs I'm eating eating and how much insulin I should take to counteract those carbs. Now, that sounds simple. Uh, But if I'm having a lot of carbs, well, your stomach's not going to digest those evenly. So you just can't take the math because the insulin's going to react very quickly uh, in in a a very finite, certain way. Uh, You have to then take that insulin over a, a, a timed period. So that you don't go low and then go high, you're trying to manage that blood sugar in across an even keel range. It is very, very challenging to do that. Um, and if you have a lot of fat content, you're eating pizza, which has a lot of carbohydrates, but has a lot of cheese and fat in it. That will slow down the absorption of the carbohydrates. So again, your the timing of when you take the insulin dosage is is very much art and science.
0: Wow, I the can technology.
1: Yeah. The technologies that existed in 1983 are nothing compared to what they are today.
0: Oh, well, I can see how it would take a long time to figure that out. I mean, do I have, I have a few questions for you, George. Um, So first of all, you were describing carbohydrates as being, you know, needing to be counteracted with insulin. So do diabetics um, prefer maybe having a, a diet that doesn't include carbs?
1: So many do, uh, many do, uh, a low carb diet is easier to manage. Uh, okay. that being said, we're human beings and yeah. we like to eat. Yeah. Um, so I crave everything that everybody else craves. Uh, some people have a sweet tooth. Some people don't have a sweet tooth. Some find that easier or, t- or difficult to, uh, to manage. Uh, once you have the right technology, I can eat cake and ice cream right there with you and, and manage my blood sugar today in 2023 relatively well because I've been living with it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a newly diagnosed person would still struggle, uh, mm-hmm. but the technologies have come a very long way. Uh, to give you an idea from a career challenge perspective, the drugs that I was taking in 1983, uh, one call in particular NPH, the insulin would peak about four hours after you took it. So I would take a a shot at seven in the morning and somewhere between 11 and one, the insulin would kick in. So that might that would be my lunchtime dose. Mm -hmm. The problem is. If it kicked in at 11, I had to stop what I was doing and eat right then and there or I was going to pass out. So if you are you're a lawyer in your career, if you've got a lunch appointment that's at noon, if your insulin kicked in at 11, you have to sit there and watch everybody eat at noon. Oh it's very very challenging and if you're if you're so stubborn as to try to wait you're an absolute puddle of a mess uh by the time it got there it was a very very challenging thing to live with until the current insulins that didn't did not come out to the mid 1990s uh come into play so it was it's it was a real difficult disease to to manage and and control uh back then
0: um so my other question is what is for those of us who aren't really well-versed in diabetes, what is the difference between type 1, the kind that you were diagnosed with, and type 2?
1: That's an excellent question. And so type 1 is an autoimmune disease where you attack your pancreas. So the patient, uh, my, my, I attacked my pancreas and I basically killed the insulin-producing cells within the pancreas. In type 2, I make insulin, that patient makes insulin, but they're resistant to it. It's typically a metabolic syndrome. So it's just, you're not acting very efficiently. In both types, the common symptom is high blood sugar. So both patients have high blood sugar. The complications and the long-term detrimental impacts of high blood sugar are the same for both type one and type two. The difference is how did I get high blood sugar? And because of those differences, how do I treat it? Uh, There are different mechanisms to treat type 2 than type 1. That being said, one-third of adults with diabetes are on insulin today because insulin, many, many type 2s wind up on insulin.
0: And is type 2 something that the the type of diabetes that people might get later in life or uh, as a result of uh, diet?
1: It's very much, uh, it, it used to be your grandparents' disease. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was a later in life after age 50, more and more people became type, developed type two uh, right now, uh, teenagers are getting it because of the obesity epidemic that's going across the country. So there's a lot of, uh, of growth and, and it's really frightening because if you get type two diabetes, when you're 50, you're going to live 25 more years on average, 30 more years. I mean, you you want to make it as long as possible. If you've got to manage that from age 15, that's a much, much bigger burden on the patient and the healthcare system to yeah. avoid the heart attacks, the strokes, the end stage renal disease, the complications of type two diabetes and, and diabetes in general.
0: Can diabetes ever be reversed? Like, can you ever not, well, like suddenly, like especially for it to maybe type two, uh, if you adopt a healthier diet and lose weight and i mean can you reverse it or is it always with you once you get diagnosed you'll always have it
1: so for type 1 no there's nothing you can do it's autoimmune for type 2 some have been successful in reversing it with diet and exercise uh the earlier you start that the more success people have um it, there's a, there's are there are very uh disturbing statistics on the failure rate of diets uh, so the obesity epidemic in it, in and of itself, there's, there's, there's a wave of there's obesity is a disease in and of itself. So trying to fight that disease while you're fighting diabetes is, you know, some people are successful some people frankly are not, not for the lack of trying, but yes, diet and exercise are the immediate prescription, uh, uh, very easy to prescribe to go do, uh, but, the, a very, very key thing for people to understand is those that are not successful, they did not fail. This is not their fault. They have a disease mm-hmm. and they need to be given access to the appropriate treatments, medications, et cetera, to be able to be healthy and to uh, manage their disease.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, certainly we could talk for hours on, you know, like how people get to the point where they're getting diagnosed with type two diabetes, even at younger and younger ages. I mean, it could be a lot of social determinants of health um, that are at play that we're not, you know, not just behavior and lifestyle, but things that are, you know, people have to live with um, in their environment that contribute to the epidemic essentially. But this is the lemon spark podcast. So I'm going to bring it back. Now. We've talked about your lemon uh, which was getting diagnosed at age 20 with type one diabetes and having to struggle with learning to live with that and manage it. Um, what did that experience do for you? Um, as far as like spark you in a way that to do something that you wouldn't have done otherwise.
1: It makes you appreciate um Life and appreciate uh, the people who help you in this world. So, um, I got involved with the American Diabetes Association in 1986 with my sister. We went. Uh, we, we were attending a, an educational conference um, in Baltimore, Maryland. And, um, we had gone to a few sessions and at lunchtime, there was a business meeting that the Maryland affiliate held. And I looked up at the front table and they were holding a a quick election during it as as sometimes those things do. And I noticed that my boss at Pricewaterhouse was the treasurer. And I had no idea of this. And I made the absolutely idiotic mistake of saying, Hey, Glenn, I didn't know you were involved with the American Diabetes Association. And of course he didn't know I had type one diabetes and in about three weeks, I was the treasurer of the Maryland affiliate. Uh, and so I learned the ter- term voluntold. Uh, and <laughs> I was voluntold and I was the treasurer of the Maryland affiliate. But it, it really changed my life. So, uh, you know, at first you get you get involved in one of the, the uh, you know, sarcastic things I say is I got involved because heaven forbid they cure the disease and I'm the last guy to find out. <laughs> now, 30 years later, 40 years later, they still haven't cured it. And I, I, I think I'd know. Uh, But what you do when you get involved is you meet a whole bunch of people. And and at that stage in my um, evolution of managing diabetes, I needed a lot of help. And um, I was with people who had lived with it a lot longer. They were diabetes educators. They were endocrinologists. And I'm just this guy in the room that could do math. Um, so I could help balance the budget, uh, but I didn't know what they were really talking about. And eventually now 40 years later, I do know what they're talking about. Um, but I I was helped immensely. And so I call diabetes a pay it forward disease. And you know, when when whoever's newly diagnosed in this disease in the, in, with diabetes, you, you 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 rely on people who have walked in your shoes and and we help each other, and there are now, a lot of very organized networks, online communities, um, organizations that help a patient go through this. And, you know, everybody is you're just incredibly grateful because you can't go through this alone. You drink from a fire hose. Uh, that, that term is never more uh, poignant than with the diagnosis of type one. And especially if it's your child because type one used to be juvenile diabetes It's now you can get this type one diagnosis after the age of 50 is are still happening. Oh, um, and, wow. co- and COVID actually sparked a lot of type one diagnosis, also sparks some type twos. So, uh, but it used to be the juvenile, ju- just juvenile diabetes. Uh, so a patient, a, a parent with a, a four-year-old, uh, and that is a very, very rough scenario. Uh, for a decade or more, you know, you've got a very, very tough road ahead of you, and you need a lot of help, help and support. And so, the the diabetes community and it has grown in 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 its ability and its uh, you know to to help with that. And it's been kind of a, a privilege to be helped and then to be in a position to help others.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so I have to ask because I ask my most of my Lemon Spark guests um, if you could change anything? Um, would you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I was merely hoping you wouldn't ask it, but <laughs> you know, it's been a heck of a ride. And so the short answer, I think I would say I wouldn't change it because it's changed my life and I've met people and I think I've helped people and helping people is, is a blessing. Um, it really is. Uh, you, you know, when you give, you get more far, far more than you give. That uh, if you think about it, how enriching it is in your own life, and your own uh, persona. Uh, so I, I would say no. Uh, that said, if there's a cure tomorrow, I'm the first guy in line. Yeah. So um, I, I'm fighting for it, fighting for access for it, fighting for patients to be able to, you know, be there. I'm, I'm involved in an organization called Children with Diabetes. Fabulous group. Um, one of its slogans is "Care today, cure tomorrow." So we try to make people healthy today, so that when they, we're uh, we're we're there and healthy to accept it.
0: Well, I am just so in, much in admiration of all that you're doing, and for this uh, disease and all the um, contributions that you're making, and grateful for that you're out there to help um, others who are learning about their diagnoses and maybe or something similar. So if people want to learn more about you or any of the organizations that you're involved in, uh, how could they do that?
1: Sure. And I'd love to just talk a little bit about the Diabetes Leadership Council, if I could. So yeah, uh, the Diabetes Leadership Council is a 501c3 patient advocacy organization. Everybody on the board is a past leader of a national diabetes organization. I'm one of the founding members. I'm now the CEO. So I'm now... Uh, part slash full-time involved with that organization. And all we focus on are policy issues to help patients have affordable, equitable access to the treatments, medications, devices, education that they need in order to manage their disease. Diabetesleadership.org is a great way to go to find out about that. We have a sister organization called the Diabetes Patient Advocacy Coalition, uh, Diabetes PAC, dot org. I'm also the CEO of that. DPAC is a 501c4 organization. Both are advocacy organizations. The C4 can lobby. And so we now have the patient voice as a lobbyist. And we're, I think, one of the few, if not only, patient organizations that are organized as a lobbyist so that we can go and ask legislators to pass rebates through at point of sale to cover continuous glucose monitors uh, in Medicaid and in, in some of the, the, the coverage areas that need to get covered. Um, we work on that on behalf of that. So it, those are the things that I do. Uh, the other group that I would urge people, if you if you have any loved one with type 1 diabetes, go to childrenwithdiabetes.com. Uh, that is an online community. They also hold um, conferences, Friends for Life conferences in Orlando, uh, where it is camp for the whole family where the child with diabetes of all ages their siblings there's curriculum for the kids the family members mom and dad have curriculum where they they're learning in different classrooms but they're all in it's at Disney all together grandparents have a track at the end of the weekend the grandparents can do sleepovers which is not an easy thing um so it is a fabulous organization I'm very privileged to be part of it um but uh, it's been a a wonderful journey you find yourself in a room with people that you just how did I get in a room with these smart folks? Uh, I'm just a guy who could do math and live with this disease but um, it's it's been it's been uh, it's it's been fun, frustrating but fun if you, if that makes any sense.
0: Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I'll make sure I put links in the description to the podcast that so people can go and visit those different sites that you mentioned. And um, are, are you involved? Are you? Is your bio in any of those um, organizations or links that you've mentioned?
1: Yeah, you'll find my bio on both on all three of them, actually. But uh, okay. the Diabetes Leadership Council is probably the easiest one to get to.
0: Great. Well, um, is Diabetes Leadership Council or diabetesleadership.org?
1: The, 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 the last, the leadership.org.
0: Okay. Well, thank you again, George, for sharing your story. And especially thank you for uh, sharing your, your gifts, your talent, and your ambition to help cure this disease and uh, all of your efforts on advocating for better lives for people who live, live with diabetes. So really appreciate you being on the lemon spark podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the lemon spark podcast. If you have a lemon spark story to share or know someone who does, Please message us on Facebook and be sure to like our page. And remember, it's not the lemon that defines you, it's the spark.